Shoeless Joe Jackson. Aren't you supposed to be in Iowa? Welcome to Let's Get To, your tour of America through the lens of minor league baseball. Baseball from sea to shining sea. And now, the first pitch. Opening thoughts from James Christopher. Presented by BaseballMapper.com. I'm James Christopher. This is the first pitch, and we're going to be back out to Greenville in just a second. And yes... You knew that I was going to be wearing these City Connect jerseys on the show as soon as I had the opportunity, and I had the opportunity. I did even order the 5950 just for display, because um, that's what I do. But again, before we get out to Greenville, I do want to send a shout out to some very special people involved with baseball, and I want to start with Sisters Little League in Oregon, to Mike, and to Mandy, and to all the kids that are either playing baseball for the first time, or this is their third, fourth, or whatever year. Uh, We actually had the opportunity to sponsor them this year, and one of the cool things that Mandy helped us out with was making sure that we got to sponsor Braxton's team, and I'm going to get my, I'm going to do my best to get through this without getting all, you know, verklempt to quote Michael Myers. I'm putting up the picture, the picture that I share all the time, my favorite picture that's ever been taken of me, ever, of me carrying Braxton to his first Astros game. You actually can see it right here as well, and it's on my wall. I have so many copies of this thing. It, it To me, it is mind-blowing how awesome it is that he is starting his baseball journey. Uh, now I'm putting up some pictures of Braxton's, the, the day of his first game. Uh, the family all have rooting for Braxton t-shirts on. And, you know, Lou is so, just a great little sister. It's such a, a just an amazing time in his life. Now I'm putting up another picture. And this is his mom at her first Astros game. And uh, unfortunately... Jordan had to wear the brick and the black, which is not my favorite Astros. You can probably see that on my face in the photo, actually. One of the cool things about this is that Jordan, when she was in high school, was an, was an excellent softball player uh, whose career was derailed by injury and several surgeries. The coolest thing about Braxton starting T-ball is that Jordan's helping to coach him. And one of the big reasons why we wanted to sponsor this particular Little League was, you know, they're, they're 2,000 plus miles away and we wanted some way to feel close to that journey. Uh, Jordan and Max do an amazing job of making Jessica and I feel like we're a daily part of their lives, even though we simply can't be because of geography. And I love that, again, one of those things that's making us closer and bringing us together is this game of baseball. So again, to Mike and Mandy and all the people uh, involved in Sisters Little League, thank you uh, for letting us be a part of it. Uh, as long as Braxton's playing and then when Lou starts playing, you can count on us to be part of the whole process. Um, and that means if it's two sponsorships, it's two sponsorships. I do also want to do a special shout out to Stephanie Stewart 
and the folks at the Manchac Little League, which is right in our neighborhood. And we're also sponsoring them with the sign on the wall. And then I guess another shout out to uh, the the English family, Melissa, John, Jackson, Joe, Sarah. Um, I didn't know our sign was up until they were out there. So uh, again, shout out to those guys. And we're very happy to be supporting you in that particular journey. Uh, in fact, John's a singer-songwriter who has a song later on in this episode. The simple thing, or, or what some people might claim or assume, is that we sponsored these things, these two little leagues, um, for advertising. And I'm sure, yeah, I mean, having Let's Get Two on the back of the jerseys is is something that's super cool and probably doesn't hurt. Uh, but really what it was was our attempt as a show to support growing this game. I wasn't able to play Little little League. Um, I don't really know why. I don't know if it was the, a money thing or simply a time thing, but it wasn't something that was an option to me. So for as much as I love baseball, I didn't start playing competitively until middle school, and I just remember feeling way behind my peers. And so if we can do something to help these kids – grow in the game and enjoy the game, then it's, it's so worth it. And the fact that I get to feel part of it with my grandson and eventually my granddaughter, it is, uh, it's really the best thing that I could ask for. So again, shout out to all of those people who are working so hard, the baseball moms, the organizers, the coaches, the umpires. It is not easy. Do remember that it's a little league though. And don't like, you know, getting any weird fights over it, you know, but again, thank you so much. Now back to me in Greenville, South Carolina. From the bleachers, the let's get to game of the week. So normally on From the Bleachers, we come to you from actual bleachers. But right now, we're coming to you from the top of the Monsta at Floor Field, home of your Greenville Drive. We're having an amazing time. It was so much fun. This is minor league baseball at its best. So check out how our night went. Your excitement for Greenville Drive baseball literally starts when you get off the plane with this cool diorama advertising the high A affiliate of the Boston Red Sox. Floor Field is nestled into buzzing downtown Greenville, part of a growing and happening restaurant and bar scene. I saw more golden retrievers than I've ever seen in my life down there. It was just a fun place to be. And the Greenville Drive are very much a member of this community, both geographically and spiritually. Walking up, it's a welcoming ballpark. It's more open than some at the beginning. You feel it before you get in, thanks to the seating area the Joe Jackson statue, the video board, and the team store that separated from the main ballpark. And it's a beautiful day for a ball game, and it's Earth Day. What better way to be outside in some green space than in a great ballpark on a gorgeous day? First, it will never not be neat to me to be on a ball field. The feel of the grass, yes, Drew Barrymore, it's spongy, and the crushed brick of the warning track, it feels like I'm going into a place where gods roam where greatness happens and I'm just lucky to be there. The views in this place are breathtaking. The grounds crew does the work to keep this place immaculate. 
and there's an opportunity to see this place from many angles and elevations. I love to sit behind home plate during a ball game, but when I'm just taking in a ballpark, the higher ground, the better. Just like a Jedi. Sorry to get distracted from the ballpark tour, but I'm a dog person, and when you see a boxer in a lab running around the ball field, you take notice. The boxer's guardian is the head groundskeeper. He's three and he's pretty much grown up at this ballpark. He's very lucky and these are some good doggos. But back to the job at hand. One of the special things about this ballpark and really drives the ballpark experience is the homage to Fenway Park, the monster. It makes a homer to left a lot more difficult option with the high wall. It comes complete with a manual scoreboard, which I'm beginning to think should be required at all ballparks, from indie ball to summer league to A-ball to the majors. In both right and left center, we get two hard angles that will make for tricky ricochets and some space out there that will require a ball with a stewardess on it. That's right, 420 feet to get out of the ballpark. And this has been your Scotty Max Dimension Porn of the Week. There are some really great vantage points that you can take in the game as a fan in the ballpark. If you sit between first and third, you're right on top of the action. In right field, there's a neat double-decker party deck with bars and picnic tables, and there's seating available on the building just off of left field. But of course, one of the best views comes when you sit on the monster. I just had to get up there to see the park at night. It's simply magical to take in the greatest game ever invented from these seats. When you see a ballpark lit up at night, it goes back to the heaven comparison. It feels like the gods put it here just for you. Floor Field's got the eats too, y'all. All individually branded and tying into baseball's traditions and past. From Sweet Caroline's ice cream shop to the splendid splinters, they've got you covered. I went with the pulled pork nachos and they were as awesome as they look. They've got a cool playscape in left field for the kiddos and the kid learning to count playing hopscotch is about as cute as it gets. And the mascot, Reedy Rippet, really kills. Reedy Rippet, get it? He's a frog. Amazing. He's all over the ballpark and he even found time to take a picture with little old me. But like I said, it was Earth Day and I love the angle they approached it with. From facts on how we can all be better citizens of the planet to giving away actual trees, the attention to detail was excellent. But when you come to Floor Field, you see a lot of fans enjoying the game, some on their birthday. So I've got a, uh, what's your name? Aaron. Aaron, I heard it's your birthday or was? That's my buddy's birthday. It's your buddy's, why are you here? For his birthday. But I mean, why are you here? I Should I talk to the birthday boy? Yeah, talk to him. Well, come on. Come on. See, usually when you meet somebody who has their birthday at the ballpark, they're nine, but I appreciate that you're still doing it. Yeah. Yeah, no, I'm uh, 35 now. You don't look a day over 23. Thank you. That's what I'm going for. How often do you come out to the ballpark here? Uh, during the summer, we come once, probably three times a month. That's awesome. Yeah. So, MLB, are you also a Red Sox fan? Are you following them all the way up, or who do you like in the MLB? Nah, just Braves and the drive. So, you said the Braves, and I have to go find a safe space because I'm a. I grew up in Houston, Texas. I'm still a little stung, but the World Series pretty great, right? Yeah. Oh yeah. Well, I, I grew up watching Braves, and I, I grew up being cursed by the Braves. Oh really? <laughs> well, my uh, my grandparents are in Atlanta, so they're they always 
pushed the Braves on us, so that's how we grew up watching Braves. Well, congrats on the, on the World Series. It was a pretty great series. What was your name again? Uh, Benton. Benton. Well, Benton, yep. have a happy birthday from the, from the Let's Get Two show. This will be out in a couple weeks. All right, cool. Thank you. But then it came on us suddenly. It was time to go. Sweet Caroline was being sung by an enthusiastic crowd, and the game was winding down. I can't express what a gift this team is to the community. By being in the center of it, they are a constant part of the community's life, and much of the community centers about what goes on in the ballpark. It's a great relationship and one that I wish was more prevalent in baseball. You're seeing some of the best players in the world in a great venue with good friends and good eats and drinks. It's a very special part of the baseball landscape. Goodbye Greenville, but hopefully not for long. Show me the merch, fashion, baseball style. Presented by the Baseball by Design podcast. And this is Show Me the Merch. We're out front of the Greenville Drive team store just outside the ballpark. It's kind of a cool setup. It's, it's standalone. They, they're open all year round. You can come get your Greenville Drive merch anytime you want to. I picked up the Ranas de Rio, their Copa de la Version cap. And for my partner, Andy Tom Chesson, the green Greenville drive hat, which I picked up last year when I drove by. See, open all year. Let's take a look at what else you can get at the team store. Again, I love how the main store is set up. It's got a festive feel to it. It opens up wide, and I love that you can go year round. Inside, you can find all their lids in 5950 and 5950 low profile, which I know a lot of fans really love and are sometimes harder to find. The green cap with the G, reminiscent of the Red Sox script, is a particular favorite. They also have a great collection of dad hats for all you fans of that particular style of cap. Looking at you, Ed. The sheer variety of shirts and other wear really creates a situation where there's something for everyone. I particularly love the Green Monster Y'all t-shirt. It brings the local community and the respect they have for the parent club together onto one shirt. But let's talk Copa. Their identity is the Ranas de los Rio, River Frogs. It's a bright, colorful logo, and I love the way their brand looks on everything from hats to jerseys to t-shirts. The combination of the frog, the subtle baseball, and the bats for legs is just awesome. The drive have it together when it comes to all manner of merch, from gear you wear to gear you display. Make sure you check them out online and get yours today, or better yet, Get yourself out to a ball game, you won't regret it. Raiders of the Lost Diamond, digging into baseball's past. Presented by Thin Lake Media Design. So we're having a great time at Floor Field. I want to thank all the folks in line to my right for helping me pronounce the ballpark correctly. This is Raiders of the Lost Diamond, and I'm surrounded by some Red Sox greats. I got Teddy Ballgame back here. I've got 
David Ortiz and, and Jimmy Fox. Baseball in Greenville has been around for a long time. And take a look at this Raiders to see some of Greenville's baseball past. On Raiders of the Lost Diamond, we always aim to knock your socks off with the yarns that we spin. And hopefully today's episode will be no different. The Greenville Spinners, see what we did there? First took the field at Meadowbrook Park in 1908 as part of the Class D Carolina Association. Led by player manager Tom Stouch, the Spinners finished second place in the circuit with the 48 and 36 record. A young Greenville native patrolled the outfield that season, a man who would go on to fame and infamy, but more on him later in the episode. We call that a cliffhanger in the business. The 1910 Spinners finished atop the Carolina Association with a 63 and 40 record and featured another notable, though less famous, future major leaguer. Ivy Wingo was Greenville's backstop that season, knocking out 109 hits and accumulating a 275 batting average. Wingo would go on to play for the St. Louis Cardinals from 1911 to 1913 and for the Cincinnati Reds from 1914 to 1926, including a 1919 World Series runner-up team. The team continued in the Carolina Association with mixed success through the 1912 season before folding. After a six-year layoff, a new Spinners team opened up shop in Greenville for the 1919 South Atlantic season. The reborn Spinners would play as a member of the Sally League with brief interruptions through the 1961 season. During that stretch, they won the league title in 1926, 27, 30, and 48. The 1930 side starred outfielder Dixie Walker, who would hit 401 with 11 homers. Walker would go on to be a five-time All-Star playing for the Yankees, the White Sox, the Tigers, the Dodgers, and the Pirates. He won the 1944 National League batting title while playing for the Dodgers in 1944 and was known by the nickname the People's Chairs, which is choice in Brooklynese. Brooklynese. I wonder if you can study that at college. There's another joke there. I won't make it. The 1938 Spinners boasted first baseman Mickey Vernon, who hit 328 for the team. He would go on to be a seven-time MLB All-Star with the Washington Senators, the Indians, the Red Sox, the Milwaukee Braves, and the Pirates. Vernon won both of his batting titles with the Senators, batting an American League best 353 in 1946 and 337 in 1953. The 49 Spinners featured future Dodgers manager Tommy Lasorda, who pitched with the 293 ERA but only hit 169. Nice. Starting in 1963, Greenville teams began a long run of squads named for their MLB parent club. The homogeneity would finally be broken up when the Capital City Bombers, who we'll hear about in a couple of weeks, moved to town in 2005, becoming the current Greenville Drive. A chug of ballpark brew presented by the hitter sports.
Now, normally on Holler and a Swaller, we'd be coming to you with an alcoholic beverage, but when your ballpark has an ice cream shop called Sweet Caroline's, you pivot, got a little mint chocolate chip on a waffle cone. We're also going to do something a little bit different. We're going to talk a little bit about Shoeless Joe, a quick ice cream toast to him and his role in Greenville. In 1908, a young Greenville native patrolled the outfield, a man who would go on to fame for his batting prowess and infamy for his involvement with the Chicago Black Sox game-fixing scandal. That player was Shoeless Joe Jackson. The 20-year-old Jackson played every game for the Spinners in 1908, racking up 120 hits and a 346 batting average. Shoeless Joe's contract was then purchased by Connie Mack of the Philadelphia Athletics for $900. The rest is history. His quick rise to fame, the cheating scandal, the fall from grace. You can see the story in Eight Men Out, where Shoeless Joe is expertly played by D.B. Sweeney. And of course, we also see his imagined reconciliation with baseball in the movie Field of Dreams, less expertly played by Ray Liotta. I mean, Ray Liotta is as New Jersey as it gets, and Joe is a country boy from Pickens County, South Carolina. Joe Jackson was born in Pickens County, South Carolina in 1887. He moved to Greenville as a young boy only to fight a nearly deadly case of the measles. At the age of 13, he started his playing career for the company team at the mill where he worked. A 13-year-old boy working in a mill. Child labor much? He started out as a pitcher until he hit a batter and broke his arm. Then he moved to the outfield. In an interview published in October 1949 edition of Sport Magazine, Jackson recalls he got his nickname during a mill game played in Greenville, South Carolina. Jackson had blisters on his feet from a new pair of cleats, which hurt so much that he took his shoes off before he was at bat. As play continued, a heckling fan noticed Jackson running to third base in his socks and shouted, You shoeless son of a gun, you! And the resulting nickname, Shoeless Joe, stuck with him throughout the remainder of his life. In 1908, he would leave the Mill League playing for professional baseball in the aforementioned Greenville Spinners. He would go on to marry 15-year-old Katie Wynn at around the same time he signed with the Philadelphia A's. His professional career came to an end with the Black Sox scandal, but that didn't end his connection to baseball. He stayed in baseball for 20 years, playing under different assumed names and managed a number of semi-professional teams most located in Georgia and South Carolina. Shoeless Joe Jackson died of a heart attack in Greenville, South Carolina in 1951. In Greenville, a museum of his honor was set up and they have appealed to Rob Manfred's office to get him reinstated and allowed into the Hall of Fame. So that is it for Holler and a Swaller. Uh, if I eat this too fast, I'll get a ice cream headache. So Holler and a Swaller, baby. What? St. Louis team, we have uh, who's on first, what's on second, I don't know who's on third. That's what I want to find out. I want you to tell me the names of the fellas on the St. Louis I'm, team. I'm telling you, who's on first, what's on second, I don't know who's on third. Do you know the fellas' names? Yes. Well, then who's playing first? Yeah. I mean, the fellas' Who's names on, on first? Who? The Let's the Get To Team of the Week. Who? The guy on first base. Who Presented first? by the Baseball Bucket List Podcast. I'm not asking you, I'm telling you, who is on first? I'm asking you who's on first.
So we're excited to welcome Eric Jarenko to Let's Get To. He is the GM of your Greenville Drive. Eric, how's it going? I'm good. How are you? Good. Let's talk about just how, first of all, we had an amazing time. Thank you so much for welcoming us out there. It was just an, a, a complete blast. No, I'm glad you got to experience a game. And uh, I think I caught in a few favors to make sure we had some perfect weather for you as well. <laughs> no kidding. It, it really was. It was it was pencil perfect baseball weather you know um the cool thing is we caught you guys at the beginning and there's so much more that's going to be happening at floor field what's a little bit that we can look forward to as the season continues yeah I mean I I think it's kind of the same approach that every minor league team has is I mean while we have baseball as our core product it's all of the experiential things that are going on around the game in between innings around the concourse um, I mean, we've always set ourselves up in that, you know, Thursday, Friday, Saturdays is kind of the staples of dollar drink night on Thursday, Friday night fireworks, Saturday being, um, you know, a giveaway or a national act like superstars. And it's really where we spend a lot of our time is those Sunday, Tuesday, Wednesday games and, and partnering with community organizations, Greenville County schools, things like that to do some unique events around the game. Otherwise we'd kind of just have, you know, 1500 fans at those games otherwise. And I mean, I, you, you missed it on Sunday, but we had 7,800 people at the ballpark, our largest crowd ever um, beating out, you know, uh, uh, Dustin Pedroia's rehab with us as our largest crowd ever. So it's really those things that we spend a lot of time, uh, time and effort on to plan out, um, We've got some exciting things coming up, obviously some bobblehead giveaways and things like that. But as far as community nights and things like that, we've got um, a night coming up with Greenville County Schools called Drive for Excellence, where we recognize all of the high school student athletes in our county for not for their on the field performance, but for their in the classroom performance. And the sports teams at each high school with the highest GPA get recognized and the school with the highest GPA amongst its student athletes gets a trophy to display at the school. So those are kind of like the core things that we do. I just think that's awesome. Um, as a high school teacher, I, I don't know. I'm just completely blown away by that. Uh, kudos to you guys for doing that. That's such an awesome thing to do. Yeah. And that's just, I mean, honestly, just a small sample of things that we do. I mean, Greenville and the upstate has a lot of tech companies, engineering firms. So we do an advanced manufacturing and engineering night as well, where it's a Tuesday in July before schools are even back in session. And we'll have BMW, Hubble Lighting, General Electric, all these big uh, advanced manufacturing and engineering firms with these really cool exhibits on the concourse. Mm -hmm. And we promote it to um, middle school and elementary school kids. And again, it's a it's a it's a Tuesday before school's even back, and we'll have sixty five hundred people at the ballpark, and they're really there to do all of those experiential things on the concourse with hands on experiences with three D printers and drones and robotics. And that's again, that's really where what we're trying to do on those what we would refer to as a soft night, a Sunday, Tuesday, Wednesday game. One of the things I did, you dive into something I wanted to ask about, and that is like the community vibe. And one of the things I thought was so interesting was you guys blend the identity of the parent club um, really, really well, where it still feels like it's a drive game, but obviously the Red Sox influence is there. But I noticed that a lot of, 
a lot of the fans are wearing Red Sox gear. And, and my first blush was that's so interesting to me that that these proud Southerners from South Carolina would would be so respectful of a Yankee team, not the Yankees. Um, but yeah, I mean, how how did that even come about and how important is it that y'all are able to kind of bridge that gap? I mean, most I think most obviously in the T-shirt, the uh, it's the monster, y'all, which is just amazing. Yeah. Yeah, that's our top selling T-shirt, too. I mean, where you kind of take the play on how, you know, the the Boston speak of Green Monster and then y'all of South Carolina and Green yeah. Monster, y'all. I mean, that that's honestly our top selling uh, item year in and year out. But I think it's been a, it's been a really positive shift over the last couple of years. And I mean, really, when we first came to market, we were replacing uh, the Braves had had a double A affiliate here for 18 years. And it was, oh, you're replacing a double A team with a single A team. And now the Atlanta A is gone and it's the Boston B. And that obviously took some getting used to with um, folks who were born and raised in the upstate. Um, but I mean, at the end of the day, the, the Red Sox brand is one of the most recognizable brands in the world. Uh, it's always been a great partnership with that we've had with the Red Sox. Um, and, and obviously when your ballpark is a rep, a mini replica of Fenway park um, that everyone, it doesn't matter if you're a, a Braves fan, a Red Sox fan or a Yankees fan, you, you appreciate the history behind Fenway park. Um, I think we've seen a big shift though in the last couple of years um, with regards to more fans actually wearing Red Sox attire in that, I mean, you experienced it for just a short period of time, but this this market has become very desirable, both from folks relocating to Greenville, South Carolina, but it's also become a, a tourist destination, which 15 years ago really wasn't. Right. Um, so I think that's where we've seen a big shift over the years, too, is early early days. We were always promoting to people that were born and raised here, and it wasn't really a tourist town and things like that. But there's just been this big shift over the last couple of years. I think part of it is is COVID related in that a lot of people relocated here. This seems to be one of the few areas that <laughs> when it comes to the housing market and yeah, things we were, like that yeah, doesn't we seem like it's affected. Like, yeah. It's yeah. been crazy. Um, the growth over the last, you know, seven, eight years. Um, so yeah, I think I, that that's been part of it too, because you you're having a lot of Red Sox fans relocate to this area as well. Again, you you give me a, an idea for a question that I didn't think about, but you you're talking about tourism. How much of it now there is this like subculture of national minor league fans who are buying gear that gets shipped all over the country that is also doing ballpark trips all over the country. I mean, how much is that has that kind of impacted what you guys are doing? I, I it's big. And what's What's really cool is, I mean, you hear about the analytics talk, especially on the on-field side, but I mean, I think all of us on the business side are starting to look at our analytics a lot more and who are we getting to the ballpark? Because, um, and, and it was really interesting to me when our VP of ticket sales after our first three home games and then this past six-game homestand, we've had 42 of 50 states already represented wow. with ticket buyers at our first nine home games. Um, I think it's both Dakotas, Alaska. I mean, it's those are like the, th the three or four that we <laughs> haven't had yet. Um, but that, I mean, I started out in this business 19 years ago on the media relations side. So obviously the baseball statistics already always intrigued me. But now 
you know, being the general manager and focusing more on our ticket sales and food and beverage and merchandise, it's how can we look more into some analytics and data that way and just getting that information has been pretty cool. And the number of first time buyers um, that we're able to track and immediately send out a survey after the game or after the homestand of how was your experience? And, you know, we hope to see you back. And because you're, you know, from, you know, California, the next time you're in Greenville, South Carolina, let us know. And we'll, you know, we want to provide you a complimentary ticket because you, you came to your first game and things like that. And it's, it's all about how you can continue to interact with the fans, whether they're from here or not. I love that answer because, you know, we've known each other now, I guess, I mean, honestly, for at least a year, year and a half longer than that. And, um, I feel like, you know, you've always been, you've always come across to me as someone who is forward looking and realizing that you got to keep finding that new market to keep growing your team. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, and even now it's, it was interesting because we had a group chat going on in our league, even after our first nine games or the first two weeks of the season, because, you know, we've across all of minor league baseball. Now you've got pitch clocks and we've seen the game's going a lot quicker. Um, I mean, you know, I think it's great that they're speeding up the game, but at some point we had our Thursday night game last week at the game you were at. I mean, it was over in two hours and 17 minutes. And obviously Thursday nights are a big night for us when you've got, you know, beer specials and and things like that. And and we always cut off our alcohol sales in the top of the eighth inning. And I think we're, we're in the top of the eighth inning at 845. And I was like, oh, crap. Like, look at all the sales we've missed and things. So we've been talking internally, even amongst the other GMs in our league of like, what are other things we can do to while the game's going quicker that we're not losing those sales? And obviously you can create additional point of sales points and things like that. But I mean, one thing we started doing last year that was huge and has only grown even more over these first nine games is doing in-seat ordering, in-seat food ordering, delivered to your seat. Obviously, you know, staffing continues to be a challenge and we're working through that. But I mean, that's something we hammer home to our fans all the time is, you know, the ballpark set up pretty nicely that even if you're in line at the concessions, it's an open concourse plan that you can still see the game. but you know, you may wait 15, 20 minutes in line for concessions. And right now our wait times on our in-seat ordering app are five to seven minutes from the time you hit go on that order to the time that we get it to you. Now, granted, not every concession item is available on that app, but your staples are your bottled beers, your fountain sodas, all that, your hamburgers, your hot dogs. So, you know, we, we continue to push that heavily because it's been so successful. It was obviously successful last year in a year coming out of COVID when people didn't want to wait in lines, but now when they see, Oh man, I can place an order and literally have my food and drinks in hand in under seven minutes. That's something we continue to push to, which also helps when the game's going quicker, I think as well. Yeah. Speaking about the game going quicker, like it, it was, we, we have our, our shoots regimented where, you know, I get there and I want to be done with X amount of stuff before the anthem starts. As a vet, I love the anthem is important to me. And then I'm like, okay, let me pick it back up in the fourth and then the eighth. And and I was like, wow, this is flying by to the point that I don't feel like I got to watch very much baseball at all. I was like kind of bummed out about it. No, I've even joked with our players. Like at some point, if the games keep going this quick, 
we're going to get into June and July when the, you know, when the sun's obvious where, you know, it's daylight for a while. And are we going to have to delay the start of a fireworks on Friday? Cause we're going to be done by nine o'clock before the sun's even down. Yeah, no, exactly. I wanted to go back before we play a little rapid fire. I wanted to go back to you talking about um, texting the other GMs of your league. And it's like, I don't imagine that, you know, the Astros, Yankees, and Red Sox are all on a group text, right? I can't imagine that. But how how is how collaborative is it? I mean, how I mean, are you borrowing ideas? Are they borrowing from you? How much is the idea sharing going on? I, I mean, I think that's what's been amazing in minor league baseball since I mean, since I've been in the industry is we are very collaborative in that we're not really competing against one another. We're, you know, we're usually at least an hour and a half from each other. Yes, yeah, some of our fans may go up to Asheville and vice versa when each team's there, but it's not like we're stealing each other's fans or marketing in each other's territories and things like that. So it always is, you know, what can work and not everything's going to work in each market, but just to be able to bounce ideas off of each other or even, you know, as we still come out of the pandemic and get an understanding of, you know, who all still is experiencing staffing issues or because food and beverage one is where we're, I think we're all still getting hammered on, on staffing shortages and things like that is okay. Who's comfortable going back to self-serve picnics or for us, we've never done self-serve picnics. It's always been our staff, but now we're so short staffed teams that have done it in the past. You know, how, how did that work for you guys? How did you do portion control? Again, it's, it, it's a very collaborative env environment. Um, and I think that's, what's always been so key about, you know, when the winter meetings are normal or when we've had our innovator summit and things like that is you get all of us in the rooms together. And that's where we bound, we bounce so many different ideas off of each other. I mean, I've spent a lot of time previously in years giving presentations on some of those community nights and it's, you know, it's, they're only successful as one, you try to execute it, but you've got to have that community leader on the other side of the table who believes in that as well. That's going to help you execute it. Uh, I think that's well said. And I, I think it's what I attracts me to the minors just as sort of an outsider is the fact that it does feel like it's one team moving in one direction. Cause you're right. You're competing against movie theaters and stuff. You're not competing. against. Yeah. It's always the, that's what I, I mean, being a Clemson alum, I go back to Clemson and speak to a lot of classes throughout the year. And that's, that's the biggest thing is I always tell them is, you know, our competitors are not other sports properties. It's other family. It's other venues or entertainment things that are competing for the family's extra income or extra spending money. And I mean, I think what's, what's great about what we do personally here in Greenville too, is we self-operate everything. We're not outsourcing food and beverage. We're not outsourcing merchandise. We spent a lot of time and effort this past off season, especially with inflation and rising costs and everything to sit down with our food vendor partners and okay, what's, what can we do to keep our costs low so the prices are still low, at low, as low as possible to the fans in that at the end of the day, a family of four can still come to a drive game and buy four tickets, four hot dogs, four sodas, a big tub, tub of pop, popcorn and spend under $65, $70 yeah. and be entertained for, I guess, three and a half, four hours now instead of four and a half, five hours with the game <laughs> going a little quicker. But if you got here when Gates, I mean, again, it's it's really what can the family, where's the family spending that discretionary income? 
I, I think that's so, I think it's so enlightening and I'm hoping other people that are listening to the show get that that's really how it works as opposed to what they're used to at sort of the major league level. All right, let's play a little pepper. You ready? Sure. Mind cleared. Uh, as best as it's going to be. <laughs> All right. Well, let's go. We'll start easy. What's your go-to ballpark food? Ooh, uh, soft pretzel. Cause normally, okay. um, and we've got really good Bavarian soft pretzels here at the ballpark. Um, I've kind of gotten in the habit over the years of, of bringing my own lunch and dinner to the, to the ballpark and things like that. So by the time I'm ready to eat something late, it's more of just a, a snack. So it, the go-to is usually one of our Bavarian soft pretzels, or I don't, I don't know if you got to experience our sweet Caroline's ice cream, but that hard dipped oh. ice cream. Yeah. Wait till when, you get it, to the episode. I actually, yeah. I, 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 yeah. Wait till you get there. That's a good one too. I, I probably, I, I'm not going to lie during the COVID year when we had no season, I was still coming into the office to do work just for normalcy's sake. And obviously I have a key to everywhere in the ballpark. I think every <laughs> once in a while, so I'd go into that concession stand and, make myself an ice cream cone, even though there was no season going on. <laughs> I love that. Okay. Marvel or DC? Ooh, Marvel. Okay. Uh, strangest thing you've ever seen at a ballpark. Man, that, that's such a loaded. I, honestly, I think that one of the things I always recall on one of the craziest things I've ever seen, our groundskeeper, our head groundskeeper, who's been with us since the very beginning as well almost got it almost got ejected during a game in 20 2017 is either 2016 or 2017 i was convinced he was about to get ejected during a game so i think that's probably the craziest thing i've ever seen yeah that'll that definitely fits the bill uh as a baseball fan what's the first time the game ever broke your heart uh well i'm born and raised in uh outside of philadelphia so joe carter's home run against the phillies in the world series yeah that'll do it if we, we got getting... some redemption in 2008 i was actually at a couple of the world series games when the phillies won the world series in 08 so that's Roy a little Oswald, bit redeemed. that was the yeah. roy oldswalt years right when he yes won. yeah i remember uh after the whole Joe Carter thing, the Astros got Mitch Williams and I thought he'd be awesome. I don't think he made it halfway. No. Um, okay. So outside of the, outside of the drive, what is your favorite brand in minor league baseball? Oh man. Favorite brand. I hate to admit this because we, we torment each other so much on Twitter but I'm gonna have to go with the Columbia fireflies because I'm good friends with several members of their front office. I love that ballpark too. I actually, I mean, I, I like their use of the neon and everything like that. I, that's one I hate to admit though, just because we go back and we're, when we were in the same league, we used to go back and forth and give each other so much grief on, on social media. <laughs> I love that. Um, okay. Dogs or cats? Dogs. Star Wars or Jaws? Jaws. Yes. I mean, I love Star Wars, but Jaws is my favorite I, movie. I don't know if I should even admit this. I don't think I've seen a single Star Wars movie all the way through. Wow. Okay. Well, that's silly, <laughs> but I don't yeah. know. <laughs> Y'all need to have Jaws night at the park. I'll be back. Yeah, there we that. go. Um, Kevin Costner is a cowboy or a baseball player? Baseball player. All right. And when you go to a new ballpark, where's your favorite spot to sit? Uh, man, I'll tell you what. The After work. I probably don't sit for too long. Um, I now having, again, being in minor league baseball for 
my 19 season, I, when I go to another ballpark, I probably sit for two innings. I like to be behind the dugout or behind home plate, but really that's for two or three innings. And then I kind of just want to walk around the ballpark and take everything in, look at their concessions, look even at how their menu boards are laid out, how their food and merch kiosks are laid out. I mean, I, I went to a game the year the uh, the Red Sox won the World Series in 18. Our season had just ended. The Red Sox happened to be playing in Atlanta. Um, some members of the Red Sox front office had hooked myself and one of my friends up with some tickets. And I, I left my buddy in the seat after the second inning and walked around for the other set. And he kept texting me like, where the heck are you? And I was like, oh, I'm just walking around looking at everything else. And he's, he was kind of like, well, you're missing a great game. And I'm like, yeah, <laughs> I've seen enough baseball this year. I'm kind of just taking everything else in to see where we can, where we can get better. And Truist Park is great. Like I, yeah, I, I got to go there in 19. I think it was in the middle of my crazy day where I did Gwinnett and Chattanooga on the same day. And I did the Braves in the middle. Yeah. That's a beautiful ballpark. I think my go-to major league stadium still is Camden yards um, being my favorite. Need need to go. All right, last question then. What is your go-to baseball movie? Uh, Major League, the first one. All right. Well, that is Eric Jurinko, the GM of the Greenville Drive. Thanks so much for having us out, and thanks for being on Let's Get Two. Absolutely. Anytime, and uh, hope to have you back soon. Take me out to the bar. The seventh inning stretch. What's going on outside of the ballpark? Presented by the Dad Hat Chronicles. And we're excited to welcome Let's Get To as we continue exploring Greenville, South Carolina. We've got Jonathan Brazier from Visit Greenville. Jonathan, thanks so much for jumping on. It's a pleasure to be here. So we are here. uh, We came to Greenville for the ballpark, for the Greenville Drive. But I love that when people travel, it's not just about going to a ballpark. It's about seeing an entire community and experiencing it. So tell me a little bit about just Greenville and kind of what makes it stand out. You know, um, it's I'm a Greenville native. I've lived here my entire life. Um, and to see how this city, this destination has changed over the course of my life is just unbelievable. Um, I, I often think back to when I was in high school and uh, in my younger days, thinking we, we never came downtown, um, you know, and just to watch the transformation over the last decade has just been incredible. Um, we're, we're, we're just blessed with beautiful parks. We have an amazing food scene. We have uh, an, an amazing arts district here uh, full of thriving local artists. Uh, we've got great music venues. Um, I mean, we just have it all. I mean, breweries are becoming the thing now and uh, independent Independent restaurants are showing up all over town, not just on Main Street, but everywhere. Um, regional chefs are becoming recognized and opening their own new food establishments. Um, and I mean, it's just it's just unbelievable what all we have going on. Let's talk about the food scene for a bit. I mean, what are we looking at? Is it a little bit of everything? Is it very rooted in sort of South Carolina tradition? I mean, how does it how's it all going? You know, it's, it's amazing. So we have everything. I'll, I'll start with one of my favorites. Um, our Table 301 restaurant group is a local businessman who has really made his mark in Greenville, Carl Sobosinski. Um, Sobe's is kind of our signature restaurant downtown. Uh, it's been here for over 20 years. It was a little ahead of downtown and it's opening. 
and um, it has it has thrived and survived. Uh, it is a um, you know it's like New South Southern cuisine. So it's a it's a high end upscale take on Southern food. Uh, they're famous for their shrimp and grits and their crab cakes and their braised beef. Um, it's, it's just, it's probably one of my favorite places. And when we have new people visit Greenville, it's probably the first place I send them. Um, and it's, it, you know, its popularity has just grown and grown throughout the years. And it remains, in my opinion, one of the hardest places to get a reservation to. <laughs> um, and uh, so, so, you know, that's kind of a, that's kind of a staple. You almost have to experience that. Um, that particular restaurant group uh, also grew into um, Italian food, Mediterranean food, French food. So we've got we've got food, I think, that really represents the globe right here in Greenville. Um, and then you move into other things. We have the village of West Greenville, which the food scene has just taken off there. There's lots of independent restaurants there. Uh, the Anchorage is a favorite um, for small plates and tapas, just really unique things. We've got restaurants popping up in old textile mills. Um, that, that I love, I love really that repurposing cool. of old space. I love oh, that. It's amazing. It's amazing to watch these historic old buildings transform into something just remarkable and unique and, and a true experience. You, you leave not feeling like you've just been to a restaurant to eat a meal. You've actually uh, uh, sat in a place of history, um, you know, where the Pillars of Greenville were founded on. And you just you just have an amazing experience, great food, great cocktails. Um, so we've just got amazing things popping up all over town on the food scene. Talk about how important a food scene is, particularly for visitors and the local community of having something unique to your, 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 your town and, and not being relied on an Applebee's or, or something like that to kind of grow that culture. Yeah, absolutely. You know, um, my my last 20 years before joining Visit Greenville has been spent in the hotel industry. So um, I I stay I try to stay very um, in touch with what's going on with travelers. And and I think travel has changed for so many people through the last several years, specifically with the pandemic. But even even leading into that, the experiential traveler has kind of come to the forefront of things. And I know even for myself, when I go to a new city, I want to explore what that city has to offer that I cannot get at home. And so I'm always looking for the hottest local spot or maybe the best hidden gem. Um, And Greenville is just full of those. And I think that's what makes us, uh, you know, that's one of the great things that makes us an interesting destination um, is that we do have lots of things like that that you cannot get. And, you know, you can't get that exact thing in your hometown. So, you know, you always hope that it's something that brings people back because they love it so much. They've got to have more of it. Um, but I think it's very important to have a local flair, to have things that are so unique to the destination that you cannot get them everywhere. Uh, one of the things that I thought that caught my eye on the Visit Greenville website was America's friendliest city. Um, talk a little bit about that. I mean, how you know how important is it as a uh, as a as a CVB and as people you're encouraging people to come to make sure that everybody's welcome when they get there. Well, I think that's a huge accolade, and it's actually one of my favorites to be voted the number one friendliest city. Um, uh, you, you know, it, Greenville is really a feeling, and I say this all the time, there, there's something special about Greenville that, that is all, almost hard to describe in words. You almost have to come here and experience it for yourself. I, um, I traveled for about 10 years with my job doing some, some hotel projects uh, around the Southeast, 
And I was always spreading the word about how great Greenville was and how amazing my hometown was. And I would, uh, people used to laugh at me. I would refer to it as like little Europe or, uh, you know, I would compare it to a bigger city just because, you know, our main street is walkable. Um, it's so clean. It's, it's beautifully laid out. Um, uh, they take very good care of it during all seasons. There's something interesting to look at all year long. Um, but there's also just this feeling of friendliness. Uh, you can stop anybody on the street and ask them how to find something. And most people will know where that landmark is. Yeah. Um, and I think it's because we really do embrace welcoming people to this town. We, we want this town to be great. We want people to come see it. We want people to stay here for three nights. We want them to move here if, if, they're, if they're so inclined <laughs> after spending a few nights. We always say if we can get you to stay here three nights, you'll want to move here. <laughs> okay. Um, Challenge accepted. So, um, so, you know, that's that's fantastic. Um but I just, you know, we're, we're in the heart of the South. So I think Southern hospitality rings true here. I think it's very easy for us because it, it's, it's who we are. And we embrace um, having the public come and love our city. Uh, as we wrap up, you know, this show is a travel show through the lens of minor league baseball. Um, Greenville Driver, one of the longest, most traditional baseball teams out there, baseball in that town. How important is the ballpark? as a sort of magnet for other businesses and other sort of forms of culture? Oh, oh, I think it's tremendously important. You know, that ballpark has transformed our West End um, into just a, a, a continuance of our main street. Um, you know, I think having, having a, a baseball team of that caliber here uh, really sets us aside from a lot of other destinations. Um, and it, it's a very popular attraction. Um, we work with them all the time. Um, on, on events and uh, visit Greenville. You know, we're season ticket holders and we love to take people to the games and just, just you know, enjoy that piece of kind of American pie with, with our um, clients and our visitors and our family and friends. So I think that baseball stadium has been an amazing addition to Greenville and uh, something that I can't imagine us without now. Well, I agree. It's, it's definitely makes for a very special uh, community. He's Jonathan Brazier from Visit Greenville. Thanks for much for jumping on. Let's get to. Thank you. It's great to be with you today. We did have a great time in Greenville, and it was a lot of fun just to hang out in downtown. I started with lunch at Grill Marks and got a delicious burger and enjoyed some really great atmosphere and some very great service as well. And then I kind of just took the town in, walking down the river, walking around some of the classic buildings, looking at some statues before, as one does on a beautiful spring day, treating myself to some ice cream. And now on to closing out the right-hander from Houston, Texas, James Christopher. Back where we started from, Ajo. That does wrap up this episode of Let's Get To. I want to thank Eric and the good folks from the Greenville Drive for absolutely welcoming us out to this beautiful ballpark. We did have a great time in Greenville, South Carolina, and it was our first ball game in South Carolina, which means we can take the map from Navy to Rainbow. We'll be back next week with our trip to the Columbia Fireflies. So until then, get you some peanuts, get you some Cracker Jack, and let's get to. Let's Get To is presented by Twitchy Dolphin Media. Executive produced by Jessica Bybee Jedgets. Produced by Andy Tomchesson, Scott McIntyre, and James Christopher. Associate producers Andrew Nelson, 
Timothy Jedgetts, and Jess Canaster. Music by Andy Bertelson, Grace Usselman, and On Holiday. All content created by Let's Get Two is the sole property of Twitchy Dolphin Media. All content created by teams covered in the episode are the sole property of the trademark holders. Let's Get Two is a proud member of Curved Brim Media. This podcast is part of the Curved Brim Media Network. Here are some of the other members of Curved Brim Media. Hi, I'm James Christopher, host of Let's Get Two, and we are going to be taking you on a tour of this great country through the lens of minor league baseball. That's right, from sea to shining sea, we're going to be looking at towns big and small as we explore the greatest game ever invented. This is Patrick. And Corey. Of BaseballMapper.com. And we have made an interactive map to help highlight all baseball teams from the majors down to collegiate summer leagues. We want to bring you closer to baseball, so get on the site and find a team near you today. Hi, this is Ed Rivera of the Data Chronicles. Join me as I interview people just like you and players, coaches, GMs on the path that led you to become a fan of the sport. What's up, Bucketheads? I'm Anna Tommaso, and each week on the Baseball Bucket List podcast, I speak with a different fan about their favorite baseball memories, what the game means to them, and what's left to check off on their baseball bucket list. Hey guys, this is Patrick Larson from the Minor League Baseball Hat History Series. And in every episode, I go through the history of minor league teams through my personal collection of hats. You can find me on Twitter at at PatLarson1. I hope you guys enjoy. And I'm Paul Caputo. I tell the story of America, one minor league baseball logo and nickname at a time on the Baseball by Design podcast. Learn more about Curve Brim Media at curvebrimmedia.com.